Glory to God. Welcome, everyone. This is lesson six of the study we're doing into the Apostle Paul's letter to the churches at Galatia. Forgive me for the delay in getting to lesson six. I was in Tulsa last week talking Jesus with the wonderful people there. It was, it was just awesome to be there um, with those guys and to just uh, see the faith in their heart and just be able to, to share in, in Jesus with them. Um, it's good to be back and, and to be able to get back into um, the, the Bible study and the, the letter to the Galatians. It's, it's, just, it's been an honor to um, be able to sit with you guys and, and read the scriptures together and to search the scriptures out together. And just, um, man, share with one another and uh, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ that, that Paul had. Um, just as a reminder, the notes from, from each of the, the sessions is um, posted in the comments under each video on YouTube. It's also posted on the church's website, gospelrevolutionchurch.com. I know um, there's been some confusion about where you can find the notes on the website. Um, we love the, the website that we have. Um, I think one of the, the bugs that um, we've, we've asked the creator to try to sort out sometime is, is where we could put the PDF files. But um, when you go under the, when you search under the sermons and it pulls up the sermons page, there's a little note at the top of the sermons page that um, gives instructions about where you can find the notes for each sermon and for each of the Bible studies. There's three buttons underneath each message. When you click on whatever message you're, you're looking at, it will pull the message up, and there'll be three buttons underneath each message. Um, the third button on the right, I believe it says save. If you press on that button, it will pull up the PDF file for the, the notes um, for each Bible study. Um, forgive us for whatever uh, difficulty it is to find it. Um, we, we trust that uh, eventually you'll, you'll get to it and you'll be able to pull it up. Um, but that's where you can find the notes. Download the notes. Follow along in the notes with us. Um, it'll be good um, for you. If you're in a home group and you're, you're going through the Bible study together, it'll be good for the home group for you guys to have the notes there in front of you and for you to be able to um, go through them and, and just share uh, what it is that uh, you see there. Um, so thank you so much for uh, your patience and um, your love for the scriptures. And we'll just pick it up um, where we left off in, in Lesson 5. Um, and I believe we left off in chapter 2, um, verse 10, the last time we talked. And so we'll just pick it up from verse uh, 11. Um, this is the Apostle Paul talking to the churches at Galatia. Um, he says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James... He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live 
after the manner of of Gentiles and not as do the Jews. Why are you compelling the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. A transgressor. Um, we'll stop there, and um, we may not even get, we'll probably only get through um, verse 16, um, because I'm not going to rush through this. Um, one of the reasons why we, we took up this Bible study, I say we, um, I guess I mean uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and myself, um, is so that we could uh, take our time and and go into detail about each of these individual points. Um, so we're not looking to rush through this. We're looking to really just sit and uh, marinate um, in in the the different things that that Paul is is talking about here and the different things going on um, with uh, the churches in Galatia. Uh, so Paul says when when uh, Peter was come up to Antioch, um, or yeah, when Peter was come up to Antioch, he withstood him to his face. Now. If you if you look at uh, the maps of, of Paul's missionary journeys, there were were two different Antiochs. Um, there were two different cities named Antioch. One was in the the region of Galatia, and one is in the capital of Syria. Um, the Antioch that is mentioned here is the capital of Syria. Antioch of Syria was uh, considered to be the the epicenter of the the gentile church you could find um lots of of gentile believers there you could also find lots of jewish believers moving in and out of there um and in fact um if you if you look in acts chapter 11 verse 26 i believe it is it it says that um antioch is the the first place where the believers of the way um, or, or, or the believers um, in Jesus, it's, it's the, the place where they were first called Christians. They were, they were first given the name Christians um, in Antioch of Syria. Um, today, uh, the, the place that, that was called Antioch in, in the letter to the Galatians goes by the name Antiochia. Um, I'm probably not uh, pronouncing that correctly, um, we'll try it again. The, the modern-day area that Paul called Antioch is called Antiochia, and, it was and it's located today in the, the southernmost part of modern-day Turkey. Okay, so I know it's, it's been a while, um, but just to, to, to give us a little bit of background of, of what Paul is building there, because he's building on a thought still, um, and, and the thought that he's building on is, is Paul is, is establishing his credentials to uh, the Galatians so um, that they can be sure that, that even though Paul um, was uh, ordained um, as an apostle after 
the the other apostles were. He he wants he he wanted the Galatians to know that that even though his apostleship came after, um, he 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 doesn't come behind in in authority and he doesn't come behind in revelation, um, in comparison to any of the the other apostles. He's not lacking in revelation or authority, um, and he wants the Galatians to to know that clearly. He, he wants the Galatians to know that the same grace that, that was given to the other apostles by God the Father and, and from the, the Lord Jesus Christ for their apostleship was also given to him. Paul says when, when he met, the, the, met privately with the, the other apostles, um, when he met privately with the, the, the guys that, that the people perceived to be pillars in the church, he says they added nothing to his doctrine. So listen, guys. Yes, it's true that um, my apostleship was born out of order in comparison to the apostleship of the other 11. But that is not to say that I am lacking in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Neither is it to say that I'm lacking, um, that my message is lacking in authority. Okay? When I met privately with these guys that are are perceived to be the pillars of the church and that are perceived to be the ones who possess all authority and the ones who have all the revelation um, that came from Jesus Christ. And I gave my message to those guys. Listen, um, they didn't add anything to my doctrine. They didn't have anything to add to what I said. Um, and, and this is what Paul gets into when he, when he brings up Peter coming to Antioch. Paul says, um, as a matter of fact, uh, when Peter was come to Antioch, I had to correct his doctrine. Uh, there was something lacking in his sight. Uh, if you want to use the, the words of Jesus, you could say that um, um, Paul had allowed God to pull the beam out of his eye um, when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so he, when Peter was come to Antioch, he, he had to pull the beam that was out of Peter's eye. So Paul says, not only did these guys that are deemed to uh, carry the, the authority of the revelation of Jesus Christ, not only did they not add anything to me, when, when I came across Peter in Antioch, um, I had to correct Peter. I had to add something to his doctrine. I had to pull the beam um, out of his eye because he wasn't walking uprightly according to the, the gospel truth. And and you might think, well, what's Paul talking about there? Well, Peter and the other Jews, the other Jewish believers, were in Antioch fellowshipping with the Gentile believers. And um, fellowship means uh, to live in close communion with someone. And so Peter and the other Jewish believers were, were living in close communion with the, the Gentile believers there. They were staying in close quarters with them. They were eating together. And um, they were sharing with the, the Gentile believers in, in the dinner, dinner table with them. They were sharing in the dinner table with one another. Now, it, sharing dinner with one another isn't like it is today. I mean, we, we go to like a, a Chipotle or, or to a restaurant and like a bunch of us are just sitting all around together. And I mean, we, we might eat uh, dinner or share a meal with people we don't even know. Well, well back in in the days of Jesus and in the days of the apostles and in the, you know, the, the, the century leading up to um, the first century A.D. And, and the first century A.D., it, it was an intimate thing. 
It was considered to be an intimate thing in those days to sit at a table together and to share a meal. It, it meant that you were joining yourself to the people that you were eating with. It, it signified there was no separation between you and them. If you sat down at a table to eat with somebody and you entered in with them into their uh, festivities or their uh, dinner um, habit, it, it was signifying that you didn't see any separation between you and them and that you were being joined together with them. That's why the Pharisees made such a big deal of, of Jesus uh, sitting down with sinners to eat. That's why they had such a problem um, with Jesus doing that. Um, pardon me. No, no pun intended, but it, it wasn't kosher for Jewish people to partake in the Gentiles' dinner table with them in those days. There, there, was, there was, I mean, there was seen um, to be a wall of partition that was separating Jews and Gentiles. The Gentiles were seen by uh, the Jewish people as being unclean because they were outside of the, the covenants of promise. They, they were seen to be unclean because they hadn't been circumcised in the, the flesh of their, their foreskin. So uh, back in those days, to, for a Jewish person to partake with the Gentiles in, in their festivities and, and to sit at the dinner table with them, it, it was seen as defiling yourself with their uncleanness. You know, just as we said that to sit at the dinner table was seen as joining yourself together with the people whose table that you sat, that you were sitting down with. Um, for a Jewish person to sit down at the table with, set by Gentiles and with, to have a meal prepared by Gentiles, man, it, it was seen to be joining yourself with those Gentiles in their uncleanness. Now, you could see Peter, you could see a reference to these kinds of things throughout the, the letter uh, of Acts, um, and, and you can also see it, you know, briefly mentioned in, in some of the, the vaguely mentioned, I want to say briefly, vaguely mentioned, you have to know what you're looking for, in some of the other letters. But in Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 28, Peter uh, referred to, to this kind of a thing when he came into Cornelius's Cornelius's house, and he says to to all the Gentile, all the Gentiles there, you know how it is an, an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. He says, but listen, I'm here today because God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So, so Peter mentions the 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 trepidation or the the trouble um, that was seen by the Jewish people and a Jewish guy coming into the house of a Gentile and sitting down and eating food with them. And he says, but listen, um, I'm here today anyway, in light of uh, what we thought the law said, in light of the wall of partition that, the, that we saw the law as building up between Jews and Gentiles. Listen, I'm here anyway, because um, I had a vision from God, and God told me not to call anything, th that not to call any man common um, or unclean. And if you, you read in Acts 10, before Peter goes to Cornelius' house, 
he's up on a roof and he's caught up in the spirit and um, he has a vision and God showed Peter in that vision that, that the wall of partition that was between Jewish people and Gentiles uh, had been torn down in Christ. It's the same kind of thing you see Paul talking about, that the enmity that existed between Jews and Gentiles, the, the wall of partition was torn down um, in Christ. Peter says that I saw the wall of partition that I thought that existed in my heart between Jews and Gentiles. I had a vision with God, and I saw that that partition had been torn down in Christ. And so God, when Peter was up on, on that roof, God gave Peter the vision of uh, the unclean animals and, and told him to, to rise up and eat. And, and Peter said, not so, Lord. I have not touched anything all my days that is, is common or unclean. And, and God told Peter not to call that which he had cleansed um, common. Not, God said, Peter, don't call common what I have cleansed. Now, we see that, that Peter interprets God's words there. We see the interpretation of what God was telling Peter. We, we see that clearly on uh, display in Cornelius' house when he says, God told me not to call uh, any man common or unclean. Now, this is my view. You, you don't have to um, take it as your own if you want, but, but I could see Peter having that vision and um, the Holy Spirit bringing things to his remembrance. And, and I could see Peter remembering when God said not to call anything common that he has cleansed. I could see Peter remember Jesus saying that it wasn't what a man put in their mouth that defiled them. It was what came out of a person's mouth that defiled them. And whether uh, the, the words that came out of their mouth were, were peppered with grace or they were peppered with uh, the, the poison uh, of asps. When, when Peter saw the, the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles in Cornelius' house, man, he got a revelation um, that, that even further cemented what God was beginning to show him on the roof. And so when, when, when Peter came and preached the gospel, when he preached the word of, of Christ, to the to Cornelius and and his house and and those guys were all Gentiles and the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles there. Listen, man, Peter got a revelation um, that circumcision was uh, of the heart and and not of the flesh of the foreskin. He he got a revelation that um, circumcision was about the heart being made pure um, through faith and and not about a, a person being made pure by the circumcision of the flesh of their, their foreskin. So there's Peter. Um, we're back to Antioch now. There's Peter. He, he's in Antioch, and, and Peter and the other Jews are, are there, and they're eating and conducting themselves at the table as if they were Gentiles and, and not Jews. They, they weren't adhering to any of the Jewish eating laws or rituals. They weren't adhering to any of the the cleansing rituals or the rituals to cleanse the food. They weren't doing anything to keep themselves from being defiled uh, according to the, the laws uh, contained in, in carnal ordinances. And, and then all of a sudden, along comes these Jewish guys from the, the church in Jerusalem. And um, this is what where, where Paul picks it up. 
And he says, for before that certain came from James, Peter did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Now, listen, my Bible's falling apart. Glory to God. Um, it just means that uh, I like to read it a lot. Um, so, <laughs> listen, I know Paul was was correcting Peter here, um, but maybe some, someone should have been talking with James um, because <laughs> there sure seems to be a lot of guys coming out of the church, um, uh, the Jerusalem church that didn't know the gospel at all. Um, you have the guys coming out, uh, the, the, the guys that came to the churches in Galatia, and I don't know, maybe it was the same guys, but the scripture seems to suggest that it was at different times these guys uh, came to Peter when he was in Antioch um, than when they, they came to Galatia. So maybe it was the same guys in just different times. But it seems like it was different people all together. And so maybe James, maybe Paul needed to be correcting James, and maybe James needed to uh, step up um, his message. <laughs> Listen, I'm only kidding. Uh, I think James gets a, a very bad rap from, from most of, of the, and a lot of people, I don't say most, but I think James gets a bad rap in a lot of people's eyes uh, because they read his letters his letter, and they don't know how to rightly divide what he's saying there. They they don't understand um, uh, the Jewish lingo, and, and they think that, that James is talking about works which we perform, instead of seeing that, that the letter of James is one of the most grace-filled letters in the New Testament. And James isn't talking about how we're justified by the good deeds that we do outwardly, but James is talking about the work of continuing um, in, in his letter, James is talking about the work of continuing in the faith that came to us in Jesus Christ. The work James is talking about is to continue in the hearing of faith so that we could find um, the fruit of the Spirit produced in us by the incorruptible seed that is Christ. And so I, I think James gets a bad rap in a lot of people's eyes. So I'm only kidding about Paul needing to correct James. Um, clearly, it, it was Peter. Um, that that needed uh, to be corrected. Listen, when actually, even when it says that that they came from James, um, I don't see it to to mean that that James sent them with this message to deliver. I don't see it to mean that James sent these guys out to make sure that Peter and all the Gentile guys were uh, performing the works of the law and that they were uh, adhering to uh, the commandments in the way that, that, that mankind was seeing them or that the Jewish people was seeing them um, through the carnal mind. Um, the way that I see it, I, I see it in the same light um, as, it, as it said at the beginning of, of Acts 15, when um, Acts 15 says that certain men came from the brethren um, in Jerusalem teaching that... Uh, the Gentiles had to be circumcised after the manner of Moses um, in order to to be saved. Listen, um, we we know that when when Acts 15 says that it, it didn't mean that 
those guys that came out of the Jerusalem church, it didn't mean that James sent those guys to tell the Gentile people that they had to be circumcised um, in order to be saved. Uh, we know that that's not what it means because if you keep reading in Acts chapter 15, James himself says that he didn't send those guys to tell the Gentiles that they needed to perform the works of the law in order to be saved. So we, we have a reference point for seeing where the scripture can talk about um, people coming out from James or people coming out from the Jerusalem church, which is the church that, that James um, was the leader of. We have a reference for the scripture talking about people coming out of the church James was a leader of, and it not meaning that James was the one that sent them with the message they came preaching. Um, so Paul says when, when he saw Peter uh, in Antioch, he says he came and corrected Peter. And he says, the reason I corrected Peter to his face is because before those guys came from Jerusalem, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. And he not, wasn't just eating with the Gentiles, but he was eating in the manner that a Gentile themselves would eat. He wasn't observing any of the Jewish rituals in, that were involved with, with, this, with sanctifying of yourself and your food before you ate. Um, but then all of a sudden, when, when these guys came from the Jerusalem church, Paul says Peter acted like the Gentile guys had the plague. He, he, he withdrew from the Gentiles. He withdrew from their dinner table. He withdrew from communing with them, and he separated himself from them as if they were unclean. And, and Paul says, man, the reason he did it was out of fear of the men who came from the Jerusalem church. And Paul's like, listen, I could see Paul pulling out his hair if he had any hair. I, didn't have any, I don't have any hair, so I couldn't pull out my hair. I just grabbed my head like this or just rubbed my hand down my face. Uh, glory to God. Uh, there's a couple things I might do. Man, I'll rub my head if something's stressing me out about the gospel. Um, but that's not the only thing I do. So don't think you can profile me. There's a soft spot right there on my head. Sometimes I, I rub it just because it feels nice. Um, <laughs> glory to God. I know that's got nothing to do with Galatians, um, but you got it anyway. So Paul's like watching Peter, man, and he, it, it, it'll stress him out enough that Peter, um, a, an apostle, uh, is is not walking uprightly according to the gospel truth because uh, he of the fear he feels that these uh these guys that believe you have to be circumcised to be saved coming and 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 seeing them um but to make everything worse listen because peter was was so esteemed in the church because peter was was perceived to be a a pillar uh in the faith when when he withdrew himself from the Gentile brethren. All the other Jewish guys there also uh, withdrew with him. And, and listen, even Paul says, even Barnabas was caught up in the hypocrisy. And that's what the dissimulation means. If you're looking at that word in the King James Bible, it means hypocrisy. So it wasn't just that Peter was full of hypocrisy and he withdrew, but all the other Jewish guys there withdrew with Peter when they saw him do it. Even Barnabas, man, Paul's preaching mate, the guy that Paul was uh, the, the closest to at the time. Listen, even he was caught up in the hypocrisy and he withdrew with them. You know, you can ask yourself what was going on with Peter. Um, you, you could speculate. You could say a lot of different things. Um, 
you could say that 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 Peter maybe uh, could be uh, moved from time to time by the fear of man. I mean, I guess you could point to some verses that say something like that. Um, Peter denied Jesus thrice um, when they said that he was a disciple of Jesus. Listen, Peter didn't have the Holy Spirit then. Peter's also the guy that it's rumored that uh, wanted to be crucified upside down um, because he didn't want to be crucified the same way Jesus did uh, to signify that he was a servant of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus, and he he wasn't the master. Um, so you could debate that. Um, Peter may have also been thinking uh, back to Acts chapter 11 um, when he came back to Jerusalem after preaching to Cornelius and Cornelius's house and and they received the word of Christ, and the Holy Spirit fell upon all those guys at Cornelius' house, and, and Peter came back to Jerusalem, and the church in Jerusalem, and he, he came back telling those guys that uh, the Holy Spirit, that he had went in unto Cornelius' house and sat with the Gentiles, and, and the Holy Spirit had fell on them in the same way it fell on um, the Jews. And, and when he came back and told those guys that, there were those, it says, there uh, uh, who thought you must be circumcised and perform the works of the law to be justified. And it says those guys argued with Peter. They contended with Peter about it all and that they shamed Peter for going into men who were not circumcised and for sitting and eating with them. And so, you know, maybe Peter had a, a, an idea of the, the hoopla that could ensue um, by these guys coming in, and he, he was trying to avoid that. Um, and because of that, uh, he was caught up in some hypocrisy. Uh, Proverbs 29, uh, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare. You know, when you, when you seek to, to please people, when you seek for people, uh, when you seek to find acceptance in people and their view of what you're doing, um, in their view of what of what you're saying, when you're living by the judgments of people, it it can it can be easy to get caught up in a snare. Peter was was caught in a snare um, because he he wanted to be justified in in the eyes of of those Jewish guys that had come to Antioch. Um, and listen, hypocrisy is always the fruit; will always be the fruit of seeking to be justified through the strength of the flesh. Hypocrisy will always be the fruit of seeking to be justified um, in the eyes of the people around you. Picking up there in Galatians verse 14. Galatians 14, this is Paul continuing to talk. He's telling the Galatians about this encounter with Peter. But when I saw that Peter and, and the other Jewish guys and Barnabas, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? And so Peter's like, listen, man, if you're living as a Gentile guy, eating like a Gentile, uh, eating the food that the Gentiles would eat, not going through any of the rituals, then, then why are you compelling the Gentiles to live as the Jews? If you're not even living like the Jewish people live, if you're not even seeking to be justified uh, by the, the commandments of man that the, the Jewish people are living by, why are you now compelling 
the Gentiles to live that way. And if you think you're not compelling them, listen, by withdrawing from them, you're, that's exactly what you're doing. You're compelling them to walk after the flesh and not to walk in the Spirit. So when, when Paul saw that, that Peter wasn't walking in the faith, and he saw that, that Peter was acting as if uh, sanctification um, is found in performing the works of the law, and, and not in uh, setting your eyes on the once-for-all-time sacrifice uh, for sin that is Jesus, um, Paul, when he saw Peter acting as if uh, he could be perfected through the strength of the flesh, Paul came to Peter in the presence of them all. Listen, everybody needs to see this. We all need to gather around the campfire, and we all need to have our doctrinal ducks uh, made straight. So Peter comes to Paul comes to Peter in the presence of them all because Peter's like a domino. If if Peter fell and they all fell, if it'll work the other way. If uh, he can uh, show Peter uh, the truth of the gospel, and so he comes to Peter in the presence of them all and says, "Listen, man, how can you pull away from these guys as if they must live as Jews according to the flesh if they want to be justified?" Man, don't you remember the vision you had where God said, call not any man common? If you withdrawing from these Gentile guys, are you not calling common what God has cleansed? Listen, man, when you pull away from these Gentile brethren, you are rebuilding the very doctrine the Lord Jesus Christ came to tear down. And in fact, our all your ministry and my ministry is about tearing down the doctrines of man and the commandments of man and the elementary principles of this world that says that that human beings, that people can be justified by looking to the strength contained in their own hand to to cleanse themselves from from sin and from death. He says, you're rebuilding the very doctrines that we've been going around to, to tear down by withdrawing from them. How can you allow that to be the message that they receive from you? These Gentile guys that that we that have been grafted into the covenants of promise through the body of the Lord Jesus, through the new man Jesus that was raised from the dead by the faith that was in his heart and not by the works which he could do with his own hands. That These Gentile guys that were grafted into the promise through the body of Christ, man, how can you allow the message that they perceive in you, that they see made flesh in you, to be one where um, that they... They have to seek to be justified through the strength of the flesh when after you leave these guys, you yourself aren't seeking to be justified by performing the works of the law. How can you leave them with the impression that justification is found in the, the, the rituals and the cleansings and contained in, in the works of the law when you yourself don't live that way, man? Galatians Two, verse 15 and verse 16. And I think this is probably. We'll probably finish with this. Um, and you guys will have to bear with me. The The next two verses might be kind of choppy because there's so many points um, that I want to uh, make there. But I trust the Holy Spirit will minister uh, the truth of what's contained here in, to your hearts. So verse 15 Paul says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ 
Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, on Jesus Christ, whichever you like it. Even we have believed on Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Okay, now listen, Paul's not uh, saying that the, the, the Jewish people are without sin. Um, just because they're Jewish. And he isn't saying that the, the Gentiles are uh, the big sinners just because they're, they're Gentiles. He, he's making a specific point here. He's not making the point that the Jewish people are, are better than Gentile people. It's not, um, he's not talking about uh, the identity of a person to God. Um, in the sense that that we most many of us have been raised to think of in the Christian church, so he's not saying that these Jewish guys, their identity was good in in God's eyes, but these Gentile guys, their identity is bad in the eyes of God. That's not what he means when he says we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. He's not saying that the the Jewish people are better in God's eyes than the Gentile people. Um, if you go back into chapter 2, um, just a little bit before these verses, uh, Paul says that God's no respecter of persons, okay? So God is not a respecter of persons um, based on uh, what is seen in their flesh. God uh, sees all people um, as uh, his people. Now, all people don't see themselves as his people, and so there can be a distinction in the Scripture. But God sees that all people are his offspring, and he desires to uh, be the father of all their lives. God looks at all people, and he wants to father his life in, in all people. He uh, wants all people to uh, believe the testimony he's given in Jesus. He wants uh, to uh, bring forth his life in all people by the strength in his hand. He wants all people to be set free from trying to cleanse themselves from sin and death by the strength in their own hand, Okay. Uh, that, so Paul's not making the point that Gentile, Jewish people are cleaner than Gentile people. This same Paul um, says in Romans 3 that both Jews and Gentiles walked out of the way. And so he makes the point in Romans that both of you, that the Jews and the Gentiles are the same. He said, you both walked out of the way. You've both missed the mark. Um, neither one of you has attained to the glory of God inside of your mortal bodies, neither Jews or Gentiles have the treasure that is God's life dwelling in them. He, he goes on to say that the poison of asps, the message of the serpent, was under both of their tongues. And so whether the Jewish guys who had had the law or whether you were a Gentile guy who didn't have the law, Paul comes and said, listen, the, the message of the serpent was under everyone's tongue, both Jews and Gentiles. So what is Paul getting at? What does the Apostle Paul want you to take away from this? When Paul says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, he's simply talking about uh, the covenants of promise. And he's simply uh, referring to how the Jewish people had the covenants of promise before Christ. Okay, So to be a Jew by nature means that you weren't in need of being grafted into the covenants of promise. And there might be a better way of me saying that. 
Um, to be a Jew by nature meant that you were included in the covenants of promise simply on account of being born Jewish according to the flesh because the Jewish people had received the, the oracles of God or the, the law that was given from Mount Sinai. And contrary to a lot of people's belief, the law given from Mount Sinai is not contrary to the promise God made in Christ. Rather, it actually points to the promise God made before the world began to Adam that he continued to reaffirm through guys like Noah and Abraham that he continued to reaffirm through um, Moses leading the Hebrews out of Egypt and by giving uh, Moses the law from Mount Sinai. So to be a Jew by nature just means that you were included in the covenants of a promise simply uh, on account of being born Jewish according to the flesh, okay? The Jewish people received the beginning principles of the doctrine of Christ. So to be a Jew by nature and not sinner of the Gentiles, what it meant was is that the Jewish people, despite the destruction and the calamity they saw, they were not living in the world as if there was no hope as the Gentiles were before Christ was come. I mean, the Jewish people might have suffered a lot, and they might have had a lot of tribulation and death and calamity come upon them because uh, uh, they uh, went a-whoring after other gods and fornicated with the works of their own hands um, instead of walking in the good work of God to inherit the, the blessing of life. Um, they might have suffered a lot of calamity, but they always had a hope because they had a promise from God that God would restore um, Israel. Now, it, the promise God made in restoring Israel wasn't the way they thought it would be, but even in the midst of all the destruction, they still had a promise from God. The Jews, by nature, had, were living in the covenants of promise. They had the promise of God prior to Christ coming. The Gentile sinners, to be a sinner, just meant that you weren't partaking in the covenants of promise as of that time right? As, as of the time when Christ had come, if you were a sinner, you were outside of the covenants of promise. That's what it meant. You were never being cleansed from sin um, or observing rituals that were pointing to the cleansing of sin. You were never participating in uh, the Day of Atonement and the sacrificial lambs and the cleansings and the washings and all those things. Uh, you were seen to be a sinner outside of the promise of God to uh, cleanse a person from or to forgive a person of uh, their sin and the death that was come upon them because of their sin. So Paul says, we who are Jews, having received the covenants of promise, having received the oracles of God, our history as a people living underneath the covenants of promise and the oracles of God, we know better than anyone that trying to be justified by the strength of the flesh to perform the, wor the works of the law is a heavy yoke that no one can bear. Neither we or our fathers were able to bear it. And because we know that no flesh can be justified by the works of the law, we have taken the doctrine of Jesus onto ourselves. And his doctrine, as Jesus himself says in Matthew 11, his doctrine is light and it's easy. His doctrine is full of meekness. 
His doctrine makes much of the work of God to justify people, and it makes little of the works which man can do to justify themselves. So we Jewish people, Peter, Barnabas, you other guys, we Jewish people who have seen the heavy yoke of trying to be justified by performing the works of the law, seeing that neither our fathers were ever able to cleanse themselves from sin and the wound of death that it stung us with. Man, knowing that no flesh can be justified by performing the works of the law, because we never saw any man's flesh justified by performing the works of the law. Man, we, seeing all that, we've walked away from those things. We've, we're no longer seeking to be justified by those things, but we're now seeking to be doc justified by the doctrine of Christ. Man, how can we give any impression to any of these Gentile guys that justification is, is found in performing the works of the law? Paul says, listen, we know the only thing that can justify a person is the faith of Jesus Christ. And he says, because of that, because we know that, we have believed in Jesus Christ so we can be justified by the faith of Christ. Now listen, I, I'm going to touch on this as many times as it comes up because um, it's a powerful thing um, in understanding the gospel. It's a powerful thing in understanding God. It, it, it's changed everything in my life, and it's really opened my eyes. Uh, where I was blind on many fronts, I find that the shackles, the shekels that were over my eyes have fallen off understanding um, the faith of Jesus Christ. Um, it was a, uh, a pillar of the Pauline revelation and the Pauline doctrine. And, and sadly, I would say the, the faith of Christ is the way it's mentioned here is, is a mystery to, to most of the church world. Now listen, the faith of Jesus Christ is not talking about Jesus believing on our behalf. Although Jesus did have faith and the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh through the faith, that manifested in Jesus's heart, right? And so the faith of Jesus Christ is not, is not saying, well, Jesus believes for you, and now you, you ain't got to believe, right? I mean, listen, Jesus experienced a certain life because of the faith that was in his heart. If he's the word made flesh about the way that is the, or the truth that is the way unto life, how are we now going to experience the life he experienced unless we find the same faith dwelling in us that, that dwelled in him, okay? So it's not saying that Jesus believed for us and now we ain't got to believe. Um, it's true that because of the faith that was in Jesus's heart, listen, he was uh, put to rest by the, seeing the Father was filled with, the Father's eyes were filled with love for him when he was being crucified on the cross. His flesh was put to rest and he saw that the Father was with him to uphold his life, that the Father wouldn't suffer him to see corruption, but that the Father would glorify his mortal body with the, his, his immortality. Yeah, the faith that was in Jesus' heart saw all those things, and because of all those things, uh, as 
he was raised from the dead as the son of man and ascended to the right hand of God, having shed the blood that was in his mortal body, having put off the corruptible body and appearing in the heaven, heavenly place, able to receive the kingdom of God inside of his flesh, able to receive the very immortality and glory of God inside of his flesh. Yes, all those things happened because of the faith that was in his heart. And because of those things happening, the Holy Spirit was made available to all of us. But that's not what Paul's getting at there. If you look at the Greek word for faith that's used in that verse, the Greek word used there, forgive me, if I talk too fast, there's a neat tool on YouTube where you can slow me down and you can slow the speed down to 0.75 or 0.50. Um, it might surprise you, but I speed myself up to 2.0 when I listen to myself. And some of you might think, and might be thinking, well, brother, listen, man, maybe you should stop doing that because it might be helping you to talk so fast. Well, glory to God. Um, I live by the Spirit, and uh, the way the, the speed with which I talk is the speed with which I talk. But the Greek word used for faith there is pistis. And it might be surprising to some, but that word is a noun and not a verb. And so that word faith used there, when it talks about the faith of Christ, it, it means the gospel truth itself. The faith of Christ is the gospel truth itself. That's what Paul's talking about when he says the faith of Christ. He's talking about the gospel truth itself. Jesus says in, in John's gospel that he is the truth that is the way unto life. Paul speaking later, and we'll get to it later in Galatians chapter 4, Paul speaking of Jesus says that faith came. He says he equates faith coming to Jesus coming. He, he equates Jesus and faith. It's like a, a, a equation. He's got Jesus equals faith, or Jesus equals the faith. Um, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says that God gave to every person the measure of faith. Now, the way God gave to every person the measure of faith is he put a faith on display inside of the person of Jesus Christ. And so there's a truth that is revealed in the birth and the death and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. The faith of Christ that is mentioned in Galatians 2 is talking about the truth that was revealed in Jesus. It's talking about the faith, the faith of the Son of God, the faith of Jesus Christ that Paul references in Galatians 2, it's talking about the faith that was in Jesus's heart as he walked the earth and was crucified on the cross. That, that faith that was in him, that was in his heart when he was on the cross, it's saying that that faith was made flesh in his birth, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And so I, I think I say it as much as I do because eventually I'll say it very clearly if it's not already clear. But the, the way that I want to say it, this is the way that I want to say it. There is a faith that is full of power to justify you with the very life of God. There's a faith that is in God, that's been in God from the beginning. There's a faith, the spirit of faith, that created all things. And that faith, this faith we're talking about that God gave to us as a gift, 
so that we could be persuaded by it and find it dwelling in our hearts and manifesting the very life of God in us, creating inside of us the very belief that was in the heart of the Lord Jesus, the mind of Christ, and forming within us the very life that Christ experienced when he walked the earth. This faith is uh, known as Jesus Christ. That's the title or the descriptor of this faith that we believe in. It's called, it's known as Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, we have believed on the faith revealed in Jesus and not the works of the law. And the reason we believed on the faith revealed in Jesus and not the works of the law is because we desire to be partakers with God in his life. And we see The faith revealed in Jesus, we see that faith has been tried in the fire and it's proved to be precious. It's proved to be uh, pure. It's proved to be, uh, what do I want to say? Full of power. We see the faith that was in Jesus's heart. Man, listen, it was even able to produce a piece that passes understanding in this guy when he was nailed to the cross. I mean, here's this guy nailed to the cross in the faith that was made flesh in him. We see what it was able to do inside of him. It was even able to produce a peace and a love and a joy and a kindness and a meekness inside of this guy's heart, even when he was nailed to the cross. This faith is so much. This faith is so strong. It was even able to cause this guy's flesh to go to rest when he was on the cross. And this faith, listen, man, this faith we saw revealed in the man Christ Jesus, it even overcame death in his flesh and raised him up in a body that was clothed in the very immortality of God, man. So that's why we're believing on the faith that was made flesh in Jesus. That's why we're believing on the faith that's known as Jesus Christ. That's why we're not believing on the works of the law, because by the works of the law shall no flesh be able to be justified with the life we saw manifested in Jesus. Hallelujah. I hope that makes some sense. Now listen. The justification of the flesh. I mean, I could say a lot about it and why it it comes. I mean, there's a bunch of different reasons, but I just want to try to stick to the context of the letter to Galatians. The justification of the flesh is about possessing eternal life and your flesh being glorified with the immortality of God. The the mark that God has always dreamt for you, the, the thing he's always had in his heart for your life is for your body to be clothed upon in his glory and for you to live and never die. Um, and he sees that within possessing his life and the certainty of his very glory all your days that will fill your heart with the fruit of the spirit and that's the mark that god has always had for your life for your enjoyment not so he can be happy with you as a person right he wants you to be able to enjoy his life and he wants you to be able to enjoy it by the hand of him serving it to you because he knows that it's it's more blessed to give than to receive so god's not after you Uh, acting right and having the fruit of the Spirit so he can now want to be around you. That's not what it's about. That's why Paul says in Romans that all have fallen short of the glory of God. What he's talking about there, the glory of God, 
is what we see revealed in the body of, of the, the Lord Jesus when he was raised from the dead, having put off corruptible flesh and having been clothed in incorruptible flesh. That's the glory of God. And Paul says, listen, you've all fallen short of that glory. That's the missing of the mark. That's what it means to sin. It means to not be partaking with God in his eternal life and in his immortality. Okay, that's what it means. So, the first fruits of the justification of the flesh is for the flesh to be put to rest and for the flesh to be decorated with the fruit of the Spirit by the hand of God. And the final, that's the first fruits of the justification of the flesh. And the final manifestation of the justification of the flesh, I find in the, in the body of Christ, we struggle to see uh, that the same truth is applicable and explained for the first fruit and for the final manifestation. It's like we, we say it's about this or about that, and we struggle to see it's about this and that. But the final manifestation of the justification of the flesh is the glorification of our physical bodies with God's immortality. And that happens by the hand of God. And it happens by the hand of God in Him, His Christ, the Alpha and Omega, returning to the earth and bringing heaven with Him and baptizing the earth in the glory and immortality of God. That's when it happens. Now listen, I don't want there to be any confusion. Because Lord knows, myself, we can be confused sometimes with all the different things we hear from people and all the different things we've been taught by people. We don't look to the fruit we see manifesting in our lives or in the world around us for the evidence that we're justified. We're not looking to see what's coming out of us and looking around us to see if we're justified. We look to the life we see in Jesus, seated at the right hand of God. As, as Paul would say, Set your affection in heaven where your life is hid with God in Christ. That's where we look for the evidence of our justification. As we're seeking to see the fruit of the Spirit manifest out of us, the way that we seek it, if we want to use those words, isn't like the carnal way of seeking. The way that we seek it is by having our affection set on Jesus seated at the right hand of God, knowing that his life is our life, and our life is not uh, but dust. It's not, uh, come, it's not born of this earth, even though our bodies might be dust still. We see that our life is of a heavenly substance because we see our life hidden in God, with God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So, um, Righteousness, if you want to use that word, because that's the word the scriptures use, righteousness is imputed to everyone. And it's imputed to everyone. The I don't want to say it's imputed to everyone. Righteousness is imputed to all those who believe the testimony God has given in Jesus Christ. And it's imputed to them the moment they believe. Just like it was imputed to Abraham the moment the word of the Lord came to him and he believed it. So the moment that you heard the testimony the Father has given you in Jesus Christ, which testimony is that God is the Father of all things living and he desires to father his life in you. And he desires to father his life in you as a gift free from your works. And the way he's going to father his life in you is through the 
man, the manifestation of his life in the man, Jesus Christ, right? And the, the only way you can find his life manifesting in you is by the work he's done in Christ. You can't find his life manifesting in you by the works which you can do in your own hands. You can't find any good thing from God born in you by the works you can do with your own hands. Now, the day you've heard that testimony and believe that testimony, that day, righteousness was imputed to you, okay? Now, there's a lot I could say about this, but to be righteous means to be in the state God created you to be in. Well, listen, God created you to be in a state of rest on account of you walking in the good work which he's done to serve you with life. He's created for you to, uh, for your life to be born from the rest that comes from knowing the work he's done to provide you with everything that's needed for life and God likeness. He created you to be in the state where you are believing on him to father his life in you free from your works. Just like I, I mentioned with Abraham. God promised Abraham he would make Abraham exceedingly fruitful through the promised seed, Jesus. And the scripture says that when Abraham heard that, when he heard the word of the Lord, Abraham believed God's promise and it was imputed to him for righteousness. In the same way, God has promised us all that he will make us exceedingly fruitful through Jesus. And to all of us who are believing on God to fulfill his promise, by the power of his Christ, which means by the power of his hand, by the power of his right hand, and not the works which we can do. Listen, the moment we believe, we are believing that, it is imputed to us as righteousness, just as it was with Abraham. That's why Abraham is called the father of the faith. So by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now, the religious leaders of that day, the, 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 the guys that had come out of Jerusalem, man, I don't, I don't think that they were believers. I think they, like Paul says in, in another place, talking about the people that came to Galatia, that they uh, snuck in privily to, to spy out their liberty and to bring them back into bondage. The, the religious leaders of that day, of Jesus' day and the apostles' day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, um, they were in the flesh. And what I mean by they were in the flesh is they were looking to the strength in their own hand and the strength in the life of the world to be justified. They thought that justification was found, um, or the, they thought the strength for them to be justified was found in the life that they could gain from the world. Uh, they saw the justification of the flesh according to the, the riches of the world and the works which, which they could do. That's why Jesus says in, in Matthew 6 that if your treasure is on earth, if you think the life that can justify you or if you think the life that can convince you that your life is very good uh, is found in the good things you can gain from the world, then listen, man, you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping mammon. And so the, the, Pharise the Pharisaical system, the Sadducees, they define the blessing of life by the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom of God. What they did is they judged being rich and being poor 
by the worldly possessions a person has instead of whether or not that person uh, has faith towards God or not. They thought the blessing of life was contained in gaining the good the world and its systems has to offer a person. They saw that their own works, they looked at their own works, they saw their own works, and specifically, they saw performing the works of the law, they saw that as, as being the power to uh, be able to exalt themselves unto the blessed life. And so what the scriptures would say is that they were lifted up in their hearts. They said, I will do the works of the law, and that is how, through these works of the law that I will perform, that is how I will gather to myself the good life the world has to offer. That's the, the mind they were filled with. That's why Jesus said they were the generation of the viper, the serpent's wisdom, the, the carnal mind that is the serpent's mind was dwelling in them. Remember Ezekiel prophesying uh, of the serpent, says, reveals the heart of the serpent and says the serpent corrupted his wisdom and said, I will be exalted by the multitude of the merchandise I can gather to myself. And so the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, man, they were living just as Adam was in the garden after he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were trying to clothe upon themselves with fig leaves. But just as Jesus says, can a man gather figs of thorns and grapes from thistles? Listen, you cannot find yourself justified with the life of God by the, 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 the strength of the life in the world or, or by the works of your own hand. You can't find yourself justified with life that way. And, and what the scripture would say is that, and what Paul himself said in a different letter, is that God was able to do through Christ what the works of the law is powerless to do. Performing the works of the law can never justify a person. And the reason it can never justify a person is because it can never heal a person's flesh from death. Performing the works of the law can never eradicate death from the flesh. That's why Paul says in Romans 8 that Paul did what the law couldn't do, and then he describes what the law couldn't do as the law wasn't able to condemn sin in the flesh. The law wasn't able to eradicate death from the flesh. It wasn't able to put a person's flesh to rest where they could find the life that they experienced being by the hand of God, producing his love in their hearts and removing the fear from their hearts. The, the works of the law can never serve a person with eternal life or glorify their flesh with God's immortality. The works of the law can never give birth to the fruit of the Spirit in a person because the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit that comes forth from eternal life. As Paul would say in Galatians 2 at the end of the chapter, if righteousness comes, if righteousness can come by performing the works of the law, then Christ died in vain. <laughs> Oh, glory to God, man. I don't think many people realize it, but much of their doctrine, it makes the, the, the death of Christ void. It tramples underfoot the blood of the covenant. It does despite to the spirit of grace. It, it counts the blood of the Lord Jesus common. And it, it's not filled with meekness. It, it doesn't make much of the work of God. It doesn't make much of the lamb that God provided himself. It, it, it makes much of the works contained in the strength of a man's hand. So listen, guys, when we think of being justified, we want to ask ourselves, 
What is it that can give birth to the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? And what is it that can glorify our mortal bodies with immortality? What can do those things? Because that's what it means to be justified. It's the justification of life and not any kind of a life. It's not uh, you'll be justified by having a Corvette. Well, listen, a Corvette is nice and you can enjoy driving the Corvette and it's not evil to have the Corvette. But listen, man, I promise you, having that Corvette will never remove fear from your heart and it will never fill your heart with the fruit of the Spirit. The only thing that can serve us with those things Paul is teaching is the faith that was revealed in the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Just as Paul says later in chapter 5, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything but faith which works by love. What Paul's saying there is the only thing that can produce the love of God in a person is the faith that came in Jesus. The only thing that avails anything towards the end of experiencing life, the kingdom of God inside of your heart now, and experiencing the kingdom of God forevermore, uh, when your body is glorified with immortality in the return of Jesus, the only thing that can produce that in a person is the faith that came in Jesus. And so even we have believed on Jesus Christ so that we might be justified by the faith that came in Jesus Christ. Listen, man, the power to be filled with the peace and the love and the joy you long for is not found in the strength of your hand to gather the good things of the world to yourself. It's not found there. The strength in the world cannot serve you with the fruit of God's life. I don't care how good of a life the world can build or show you that you can get through the the, the riches of the world. Man, you could gain everything in the world. As as the serpent said to Jesus, that man, you could even gain the kingdoms, all the kingdoms of this world. And those things will never be able to serve you with the fruit of God's life. That's what Jesus knew when the serpent was tempting him. The only thing that can prove to your heart that God is with you and that your life is very good is the faith that was revealed in Jesus. The only thing that can prove to your heart that your life is very good is the faith that was made flesh in Jesus. If you think you can gain any good thing from God by performing the works of the law, just ask yourself, can I receive the Holy Spirit by performing the works of the law? Can I receive the Holy Spirit by performing the works of the law? And if you can't receive the Holy Spirit by performing the works of the law, then neither can you receive any good thing from God by performing the works of the law. Because every good thing that comes from God and that is of God comes from His Spirit, the Spirit of His life. Glory to God. Um, I didn't set the timer, so I'm not sure how long I was talking for. I think I went over, but um, if I went over, then it is just a, a bonus session Uh, because of my absence last week. Thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, sharing um, in the faith of Jesus Christ with me. Thank you for studying the scriptures with me. I pray you know that you're, you're loved and cherished by God. Blessings to you and your family.